Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn uh, to Romans chapter 14. You know, uh, today's, uh, today's passage uh, is it's really interesting because I've just been excited about being able just to go verse by verse. Again, we've been covering big chunks of, of, of God's Word, but we've been, uh, we've been going verse by verse through it. And the great part about that is that you get to cover things that you wouldn't normally stop, or if you're doing something topical, it's probably some, not something you're going to do. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like last week, you know, pay your taxes kind of thing, you know? When's the last time you heard that in a message? But that's what chapter 13 was. It was about obeying, being under the authority of the government and wherever you live. Remember that that message went out to uh, believers at that time where people were from all over the world. So it's an interesting uh, in Rome that were from all over the world. So it's an interesting thing to take a look at, but it's a powerful thing to walk through. Obviously, the book of Romans. We've been, we, uh, been doing this since the summer now, right? We, we, took a, we took a few weeks off to talk about financial peace, right? But, uh, but now we're going to finish this up. Uh, obviously, we've got a couple more weeks to go. But today's chapter 14. And let me give you just a, this will help you in putting it all together. The first 10 chapters of Romans is about salvation. It's about sinfulness, our sinfulness, uh, God's love for us, right? Uh, who Christ is, what he came to do, and the difference that makes in our life. And by grace, through faith, those type things that are found throughout uh, the book of Romans up through chapter 10. Chapter 11, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 11 was about Israel. And how does Israel fit into this? Now that God started the church, um, and what does Israel fit in? And that was what we talked about in chapter 11, right? Chapter 12 has to do with what God wants from us individually. I, I love chapter 12, especially the first couple of verses. It says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy that's in all of our lives, to present your bodies, that is, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Therefore, Lord, I'm not my own. Lord, I'm yours. My time is yours. My resources are yours. My talents are yours. Uh, that's what those first few verses are, right? And then it goes on to talk about how they fit in within God's, within the church. And you'll see all that. And, but it goes on to say, you know, basically, uh, the present your body living sacrifice, holy, it's acceptable, right? Don't can be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right, by the renewing of your mind. And um, those are just such great verses, chapter 12, right? Well, chapter 13, there was this passage that talks about being submissive to your government. Why? Because you have to remember that God, that, that obviously God, Christ has called us not to lead rebellions. Therefore, the, that's what Jesus said. You know, if my, if my kingdom, Jesus made this statement, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But they're not going to fight because my kingdom's not of this world. So he wrote to the Romans, hey, listen, this is not something that you're to start passing out weapons and, and try to overthrow the Roman government. This is not who we are, right? Interesting. That was last week. So I was paid taxes, all those kind of things. But this week is different. Now it, it shifts towards how you and I, if you're his today, and that's a huge F, if you're his today, what does that look like? right? There's this huge, there's this huge picture in chapter 14. Chapter 14 is one of those chapters that is usually skipped along with chapter nine, right? And then the taxes one's not real popular either. So that one's usually skipped. And so when you take a look at 14, it, it can have some controversial natures to it because because it can offend, not unbelievers, right? But it can really offend those who are believers. You'll see today, all right? Some of you will be offended. Aren't you glad you came? And so, well, that's why God skip it. But I'm not gonna skip anything. We go, if we're gonna look at it, let's look at it for what it says and the truth of what it says. And, uh, and it's, but it, again, uh, I'm just, it's like what I've told you the book of Romans, right? I just wanna let it speak, right? And as, 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 as well as I can, I want to, I want to, I want for you just to hear it and what it says. And you'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. Today's, uh, today's title is when believers disagree, right? Our disputable matters would probably be a good title because these have to do with things that cause conflict, all right? Within a local 
group of believers. You know, and I want you to see, this is an incredible cause. Think about the issues at Paul's time. At, at this particular time, you have to remember that the greater majority of believers in Christ were Jewish, right? Although the majority of the Jewish nation had rejected Christ with, along with the religious leaders, but still the majority of believers were Jewish. Because Paul, you'd read the book of Acts, but, it was go- but there were a huge numbers of Gentiles, that is those who are non-Jewish. So when, when, when Gentiles and Jews clash culturally, there's all kinds of problems that are gonna come up, right? It's an amazing thing how that works. You got all the kosher laws, you know, uh, that is eating, you know, uh, foods that are clean versus unclean and all of those things in the Old Testament, right? You've got all of the stuff, the Jewish stuff, and then you have, you've not, you can't just lump Gentiles all into one group. There's different kinds. And, and, and all of a sudden you take all of these cultures and all of these other things and you throw them together, there's going to naturally be conflict. It's kind of like living in Florida, all right? You have to remember that most of us, all right, are from somewhere else. I, I, when anytime anybody comes to the guest reception right after the service, I always ask them where they're from. Seriously, guys, one in 50 uh, grew up here in the area. I mean, most everybody has come from somewhere else. And so when you've come from somewhere else, you've brought whatever you grew up with, whatever you're used to, whatever you think is this or that, or should do this, don't do this, whatever. You bring all that with you, right? And you have to learn to get along, right? And in, in, in Florida, I mean, and so, so obviously this is the picture in the church, but here's the, here's the thing that we have going for us is that Christ has changed our lives, if you truly is. And there's a desire that you should have to, to want to band together uh, because it's who he's called us to be. To band together with other believers, that's what chapter 12 is about. Uh, to band together with other believers to do the work he's called us to do. In fact, Jesus says that the gates of hell won't stop us if we can, if we can in unity live together. But that's a hard thing to do, especially in the culture in which we live. People are, people are becoming more and more isolated because of the, the technology we have. You know, uh, most people communicate uh, electronically, right? As opposed to relationships and, and dealing with one another. But I want you to know that this is who he's called us to be. And so he addresses how you do that. Now, what's going to happen here? I'm gonna talk to you about this, but a lot of us have things we've brought from either the way we were raised down to everything. So you have that to deal with, but also there's this thought of, of dealing with those who are immature in their faith. That is the main, what, main thing of what he's talking about here. That is those who, who and, and, and that may even bother you, what we call immature, but not what we call it, but I'm gonna let Paul call it that, all right? All right, but you'll see it all here when we talk about it. But I just want you to see what he talks about and how we're to do that. Because it's incredible to me that, 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 that not only the church has survived down through the centuries, but it has thrived because so many different people from all walks of life. You know, I have, I've, I've had the opportunity to do, um, to do a whole lot of work outside of the country and outside of even the continent. You know, and the one thing that has always amazed to me is that when I truly go among believers, whether they be in South America or Asia or wherever they are, and in the places I've been, the Middle East, when I'm around believers, there's a kinship, even though their culture is so vastly different, right? And, but there, you're always gonna have cult, what I call cultural clashes. But it's not just that, there's also the maturity level. And that's what he talks about here. So let's, let's talk about it, right? So we're gonna spend the majority of our time in the first two things. In fact, I may not even get to the third thing I wanna talk to you about today. And we'll just do that next week if we don't get to it. But here's this, here's this thought, right? And this is, this is what we need to hear. Number one, and when believers di- disagree, is number one, is that we need to accept one another, okay? 
That sounds like some sort of political agenda. It is not. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. It's very clear. But to accept one another. Now, why? Number one is because God has accepted us. Because of who Christ is and what he came to do, right? You and I are his. Therefore, we accept the things that God accepts. Now, as we walk through this, chapter 14, verse 1, and, and it's, we'll stay a little bit of time on, on verse 1 because there may be a couple of things that hit you by surprise. But number one, take a look at it. As for the one who is weak in his faith, what does weak in his faith mean? Well, all of us have been there. Some of us may be there now. All of us have been there. And what he's talking about here is not so much one who is weak and stays weak, but one who is immature, that is one who has not grown up yet in their faith. And all they need is the time to be able to grow. It's kind of like we have in physically, you know, when you're born, right? Uh, by the way, uh, uh, I have, you know, I have a new grandchild, right? New granddaughter. She was born, I don't know, about a week ago, a little less than a week ago. And, and, and I get pictures, right? And, um, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, just how small newborns are and just how needy newborns are, right? And so just how immature. Now, is there anything wrong with being immature? Absolutely not. All of us have been there. And so all you need is people around you that help you through the needy, vulnerable time, right? Like when you're a baby. And so, and then you grow up and then you're a child, they're still, you're still vulnerable, you're still uh, weak, if you will, but you're not as weak as you were. Then pretty soon, hopefully you mature, right? And, uh, and that's, what, that's this picture. So this weakened faith is not a slight, but it's an immaturity. So look at this, as for the one who's weak in faith, it says here to welcome him. Welcome is an okay translation, but in reality, what it, what it really is talking about is to accept them. So in other words, one of the great, if you're a believer here today and you've been a believer a while, that is you've grown in your faith, then you have a responsibility to those who are younger, right? Therefore, it's, it's to welcome, to accept. But obviously you accept those who are more immature, obviously, because they've still got, when, when somebody comes to know Christ, it was the same way in Rome or wherever Paul had started a church, they come with a whole lot of baggage. When someone becomes a believer, they come with a whole history of things they have to work through, of need, and, and they, need, they need things in their life, and then for most of them, they're longing for it, right? But it says, for as the one who's weak in his faith, immature, welcome, accept, right? Accept them and all of, the, all of the problems that go with it, right? And it goes on to say here, it says, but don't quarrel over opinions. Now I find that amazing, all right? Because what is he even talking about? All right, he gives you a couple of illustrations in a minute. And this is where I'll get in trouble because I'm gonna give you a couple other illustrations that are more common current day. You know, it was really interesting. Somebody had told me after the last service is that, that there was a, you know, there's this huge Bible study group, not involved with the, with the church, but a huge Bible study group that covered Romans. And when they get to this chapter is that those in the Bible study started coming, coming to blows over these things. Right, seriously. Oh, because you can't tell me that, you know, and quarreling, it's an amazing thing. Now, again, I love, just let it speak. Just let it speak. What is it saying? All right, here we go. Quarrel over opinions. Now, opinions. What's an opinion? Opinions, well, I think this, 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 the other person, well, I think, okay. And everybody has opinions, that's wonderful. But here's the, here's the, here's the thought. Don't quarrel over opinions, don't, don't get into fights over things that don't really matter. And I've always said that if it's the truth, I'll die on that hill. But, but here comes the problem, is that so many times people who are blind to it, and the more immature, the more blind you can be to it, is that they equate their opinion with the truth. Does that make sense? Well, if I believe it, then it must be true. 
And then, then you make it a truth issue and then you die on a hill and blow up a whole lot of stuff, you know, over things that don't matter, all right? And the immature do that. He gives you an illustration, and it's, it's, it's a Jewish illustration, but it can be translated everywhere else. Everybody's been on this page before, if you're a believer today, right? Everybody's been there before. And I'll tell you a little bit of mine when I was a newer believer, right? But let's take a look at verse two. One person believes he may be eat anything, okay? While the weaker person, now is he talking about weaker, what's he talking about? Weak, weaker in faith, immature. While the immature person eats only vegetables. Now, is he talking about vegetarians as being weak in the faith? No, 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 right? But what we're talking about here is the Jewish thing, the kosher thing right? And here's, there's nothing wrong. And if you only want to eat vegetables, knock yourself out, but don't live in judgment of others who you see as inferior to you. There's where you mess up. When you begin to think that those things that you do abstain from or don't do or do that somehow make you righter with God, right? You'll see it. See, when I read down through this, this, this gets real clear. And um, so anyway, one person believes he can eat anything. So that would be the, that would be the, obviously the more mature of a person in their faith. That's what he's saying. The weak person will eat only certain things. Some will eat this, some will eat that. But see, at that time, the, I can't tell you, especially among our, 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 the Jewish part, is that they had more laws about different things you could eat and couldn't eat. And Jesus says, you know, it's like straining at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And, and what does that mean? That means basically anytime you start thinking that your relationship with God has something to do with, or, or, or that the closeness of your relationship with God has something to do with you not doing something or doing something, either whatever kind of rules and lists you come up for yourself, right? Then that's someone who's weaker in their faith. As you grow in your faith, there's gonna be one thing that you learn and it will be solid in your mind. The older you are in your faith, the more mature you are in your faith, you will begin to realize just how much God loved you and it had nothing to do with how good a person you are. It all had to do with his grace. But when you're younger, you, I remember when I was a new believer, gosh, I was so gung-ho, guys. I was so, you know, Jesus saves, you know, answering the phone, that kind of stuff. And I was, I was gung with the capital G, so gung-ho. And, and guys, I would have eaten tree bark if you'd have said that to made me a godlier person. And I fell into a group of people that that's, I mean, they started adding the abstain from this and but do this. And I started adding all the lists down and all of a sudden the freedom that Christ had given me became a burden. Does that make sense? Almost to the sickness point to where the more burdened I am, the more spiritual I am. You know what I'm talking about? People who brag about what they do without because they somehow, you know, they, Guys, whenever you start trusting in those things, listen, look at me. There is only one thing that makes a person right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross, right? Period. Nothing else added, nothing else taken away. All right? By the way, our Jewish friends, where I'm from, okay, our Jewish friends would have really clashed with where I'm from, right? Where bacon is a food group. All right? Does that make sense? All right? And so, so would you stand in judgment and say, well, you know, if you eat bacon, then you're, you know, you're not, a, you, you may be a believer, but you're not a great believer. Listen, there's only one thing that makes a person right with God. And there's not anything you're ever going to do or not do that's going to make you more right with God than what Christ did at the cross. And the longer you are a believer, the more you will realize it really is free. All right, just take my word for it. Because I, I remember in the, a lot of the immature days, I was so gung-ho. And you'll see, you'll see how it fits in because it, it goes down through it, right? Now, look at me. Look at me. I'm saying, you know, if you eat vegetables and whatever and 
you don't eat bacon, God bless you. But because of health reasons, guys, this is not what I'm talking about, right? We make healthy choices. But just because we make this choice or that choice, you and I are not to stand in judgment of people over things that don't matter. But yet our culture really does separate themselves. What people, some people eat what they don't eat, what they exercise, don't exercise. I mean, it goes into, listen, I think you ought to make healthy choices. I really do, really do, but I'm not giving up bacon, all right? All right? My, my wife has substituted turkey bacon, and I'm sorry. It doesn't taste the same. I'm sorry. As much as you try to say it does, it does not. And I've made it for a while. All right. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm trying to make it a little levity here because this is going to irritate some of us because we have so bought into the thought of, you know, this, 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 and this, you know, that we've almost made what's an opinion a truth. And then when any time we make an opinion a truth and start trying to enforce it, that's when God's church becomes a place for conflict and it's over. Let me give you a silly illustration. This actually happened because of where I'm from, guys, I'm telling you what conflict was a way of life in church, right? Why? Because people's opinion became truth all the time. And that's how it all the problems began, right? Now, I remember one church, not the one I, one I went to, but one I knew about, they decided to remodel the church. Oh, Lord, help us. All right. And, you know, a group of people got together and they decided that they were going to make the carpet and the drapes red as a, you know, for the blood of Jesus. Okay, great. All right. But the other group was like, are you kidding? Okay. Red? No. And then, well, you know what happened? All right. This group started telling this group, well, you don't care anything about the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and then it became this truth that was nothing but an opinion. And that church blew up over something ridiculous. But guys, it happens all the time. This is what Paul's talking about. Are you kidding? You'll see here in a minute. He says, are you kidding? You're gonna stop the work of God over something so trivial as bacon or turkey bacon? All right, he doesn't say that. But you know what I'm saying, all right? It's all here, okay? And I just want you to hear it, okay? Because this is a powerful thing, all right? He goes on to say, don't let anyone who eats despise one who abstains. In other words, those who abstain, don't look at them and say, oh, pfft so ridiculous, you know, despise. But then he interestingly says, and let not the one who does abstain pass judgment on the one who eats. God's accepted both of them. In other words, why make it an issue? All right? Now I find it interesting, again, this is what it says, all right? The one who abstains in this particular case is the one who's weaker in his faith. Okay, verse one. Also the one who abstains, remember, see the two different. The one who abstains is the one that usually passes judgment. In other words, you become very judgmental. So what happens, here's how it works, all right? You have different opinions and you make your opinions out of, out of some self-centeredness, okay? You make your opinions the truth. And the culture in which you live, you know, you can make the church, you can make the truth anything you want it to be. And how dare you tell me that's not the truth for me, all right? So what happens is you make the opinion the truth, right? And then everybody who doesn't do your opinion, you pass judgment on them, right? And a whole lot of problems come from it. This is why a church can be labeled, and I pray that never happens here, is that a church can be labeled as being very judgmental. Now, when it's truth, guys, then that's an easy call. But what most people call the truth really is not a truth, it's just an opinion. 
But see, this is what happens all along. We have this little world we like to live in, right? Just for the sake of example, I'll, I'll use myself. Jeff world. And I create this own little world for myself. And I get to make all the rules. Right? And I exile everybody, right, who doesn't live according to Jeff's truth. Right? And the problem is, is that that's not who God's called you to be. He's called you to be in his world and to accept those, right? No matter who they are, no matter what their background is, no matter the struggles that they're having, if they're his. It's an incredible thing when you take a look at it. But boy, it can be tough when I start making some of these examples a little closer to home, right? Because now we're just looking at eating. I mean, other than the vegetarians in the room or whatever, this one's not as controversial. But some of them get there. You see, look at me, look at me. How many times, if you're a believer today, only if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, this doesn't really apply. But if you're a believer today, when you look for a church, are you looking for a church that meets your needs? Or are you looking for a church that you can serve? Right? If you're looking for a place to meet your needs, then you're still immature. Right? Let's even get it, let's even make it worse. Right? It's like I was talking, uh, Tim and I, Pastor Tim and I were talking to um, a marriage guy. Uh, love and respect is it. it we're, we're gonna bring it in and it's be a little over a year, something like that, Tim, right? And, and we were talking with the guy who's in charge of it all, who speaks at it. And let me tell you something, love and respect, that is the greatest marriage conference that there is. Well, it's gonna be in in a little over a year. And I'm talking, to, we're talking to this guy on the phone, Tim and I, and I appreciate the fact he wanted to talk to us. And we're sitting there talking. And, and this, is, this is amazing to me, all right? is he was talking about, you know, and, and, and then he made the comment, well, you know, some, some folks don't really see that, they think that, that, you know, my marriage is fine. I don't really see my need to, to attend. And I stopped him. I said, listen, I'm trying to combat that where I am. Therefore, those who have a wonderful marriage, I want them to come because I want them to learn perhaps how maybe they can help others. It doesn't have to be all about you, right? It's like this financial peace. You know, I can't tell you, sometimes people are like, I don't know why we're doing that, you know, and ah, my finances are fine. Well, it's not all about you. And by the way, you might go learn something and be able to help others. See, that's the mature response. It's not all about me. And yet, guys, I know how hard that is because you live in a culture that, that constantly tells you it needs to all be about you. I watched a little bit of football yesterday, just, just a little bit. But, I, I, you know, the commercials came through, right? And I've told you this before, but I'm still shocked and amazed. I lost count with how many commercials said because you deserve it. I lost count. So what that teaches you is that it's all about you because you deserve it, right? And it causes incredible issues and it causes the problem that unity is almost impossible, right? It's almost impossible with that type of mentality. No, it is impossible. So this is who he's called us to be, right? So Get away from despising those who abstain and those of you who have these things, get away from being judgmental of others, right? It just, it's not who he's called us to be. Number one then is accept others. God's accepted us. Number two, God strengthens us. Therefore we grow, we learn to grow. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant, on somebody else's servant? Obviously that doesn't fit in our culture because we don't have slaves. But here's the picture back then is that who are you? Right? You don't have the right to pass judgment. Right? Who are you to pass judgment on somebody else's servant? Right? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord's able to make him stand. God's at work in his life. Right? If he's struggling, if he has problems, she has problems. Listen, you don't go into God. God's got a, God, God can do it if they're truly his. I have found that God's spirit that lives inside the believer is a much better teacher and a much better convictor than any of us can be. 
right? It's an amazing thing. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's crazy, to be honest with you. Number three, Christ is our Lord, right? One person esteems, he gives you another illustration here. One person thinks one day is an important day. You ought to honor and celebrate, right? One person says that all days are, are the same. Right? Again, not our issue, at least not as much. Although, guys, in doing what I do, you can only imagine, all right? I had somebody come by and tell me one time, nowhere in the Bible does it say to celebrate Christmas. And he's right. But I like celebrating Christmas. But to me, it's a wonderful thing because I get the opportunity to tell people who Jesus is and then that tells us what he came to do. So if celebration does that, then great, right? But see, the thought is not whether you think you ought to celebrate this day more than another or that. The problem is you have an opinion and we have this tendency to draw up lines and borders with those who have different opinions than we do. Right? It's just not a big deal. But these things become a big deal. Right? Each one should fully be convinced in his own mind. Okay? The, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. Right? The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. So we're talking among believers here. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord, right? And gives thanks to God. So it becomes one of these things to where, knock yourself out. But don't stand in judgment of someone else. Right? Interesting. And verse 7 is what sums it all up. For none of us lives to himself. In other words, it's not all about you. Right? It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing when you begin to look at it. You know, let me tell you one thing. I can't tell you um, how all these things, how these things, how these things this, is, this is who I am, this is what I want, right? And, you, and everything that goes on in the life of a church, you know, everything from music style to this and to that, and everybody's got an opinion about what this should be, what that shouldn't be. And, and I, I found that the most immature are the ones who try to make a truth out of it. And if they don't get their way, then you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna leave. And they're gonna, and they're gonna go somewhere that will meet their needs. Hopefully, the event, eventually, one day, they will mature enough to where they'll see themselves as a servant and not a consumer. But I'm here to tell you that's, it's a growth issue, right? It's a growth issue. Why? Because it's not all about you. For none of us who lives, lives to himself or herself. In other words, it's not about you, it's about him, right? It's about who he's called us to be. And this is the exact opposite that the culture teaches you. And this is Paul trying to tell them how they can live in unity in a place like Rome that was so diverse and people came from so many different backgrounds, right? It's an amazing thing to think about when you put all this together. So none of us lives, lives to himself. None of us dies, dies to himself. In other words, those things are his. We're gonna put our faith and trust in him. We're gonna grow in him. For if we live, we live to the Lord, right? And if we die, we die to him. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're his. These are great verses to understand is that he's not there for us, we're there for him, right? And yet, if you read most popular stuff in our culture, you would think that God is there for us. He's there to help us. He's there to provide for us, give us everything we want. Obviously, none of those things are true, but that's a subtle difference that basically has been said here. For to this end, Christ died and lived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. All right, number four, Christ is our judge. This is an interesting thought. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? He keeps beating this thing because he wants them to hear it. That's why chapter 14, you don't really ever hear people talk on chapter 14 much, right? Because this is an issue that people struggle with. And I, 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 I get it. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
are you? Why do you despise your brother? So he's talking about both, right? So do you realize that we'll all stand before the judgment seat, right, of God? This is also talked about in Corinthians. You and I will give an account to, of ourselves to him. We'll never be accountable for sin again because Christ died for that. But will you and I, if you're his, if you're a believer here today, you will give an account of yourself to him, right? With what's been entrusted to you and how responsible you've been for what's been entrusted to you, that becomes the picture. For as it's written, as I, uh, as I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow, every tongue will confess, right, to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself. But we don't give, we're not accountable to each other. We're accountable to him, right? It's an amazing thing. Only those who feel superior pass judgment on others. That's another thing I've found with those who mature in their faith. You have a lot more patience with people around you, right? It's kind of like if you've ever wanted to know why grandparents have so much more patience than parents, because you've learned, right? You've learned by now, right? You've learned that you can kill a mosquito with a shotgun, but is it really worth it? You know, you've learned some things along the way. You know, you've learned that a bulldog can whip a skunk, but is it worth it? Does that make sense? You've learned these things along the way because you've walked the roads and you've grown and you've matured. Because it's an incredible thing when you look at those things. You know, it's like in marriage, right? It's like in marriage. You know, I have found that the perfect marriages, and there are no perfect marriages, but the best marriages are, I can give you the formula for them, but they're really difficult. The, the formula for a great marriage is when one person is 100% committed to meeting the needs of the other one. And the other one is 100% committed to meeting the needs of this one. Now, nobody ever does that perfectly. But when you have two people committed to meeting the other one's needs, not even worried if theirs get met, you're going to be amazed at the harmony that happens in that relationship. But the problem always happens when we get self-centered, right? It, and we're all have been there, right? Martha and I were first married. It's just hysterical. You know, we thought we were so perfect and so perfect for each other, not perfect ourselves, but perfect for each other. And we had all these and they're never gonna have problems, never gonna be an issue, never gonna be. And it's just not the truth. In fact, the most immature we were, we were at the beginning. But then as we grew, and if you have a desire to meet that other one's needs, you'll be amazed what happens. But self-centeredness is the culprit in every relationship, right? Amazing how that works. Now. Let me give you another for instance. I have four children, right? Three daughters and a son. Now, I have one daughter, right? And no, she's not here now, so you don't have to look in that direction, right? <laughs> one of my daughters, all right, I, I, am, I am not, um, even with what I do, I am not an overly wordsy person. And I have a wordsy family. It's an amazing thing how God did all of this. And so I, I it just really, really is like, uh, you spend 150 words to tell me something you could have told me in 20 words. Does that make sense? And so in the earlier days, hey, can you just skip to the end? All right. But when I'm saying that, I'm saying that the way I do it is more important than the way that you do it, all right? So I have a child. I, I don't even know. I, I remember this stat, but I didn't look it up, so I don't know. But, you know, they have this, this thing that men have, what, 80,000 words a day and women have 120 or it's something like that, right? Right. Well, I have one of my children who is about 200,000 a day. And <laughs> And it's so interesting because when Martha's out of town, um, all she's got is me. And not the one who's with me now, right? But, and so she'll come home and oh my gosh. Uh, it's like being hit with bullets. 
20,000 words comes out in 15 minutes. And it's just different. Is there one right over another one? Of course not. It's just difference. Opinions, really differences. All right, but listen, here we go. I can hurt her feelings and say, you're killing me, you know, or some smart remark, you know, that everybody thinks is funny. Or if I'm the mature one and I'm wanting to make a difference in her life, I need to sit there and listen to every one of them. Does that make sense? Now, that's me wanting to make a difference in her life because she's the less mature one. Does that make sense at this time? Right? Now, Martha and I have learned since we're not less mature one another, she's learned, okay, when Jeff first gets home, I can't riddle him with a whole lot of information. So she works at that. I work at, okay, let me hear from you. Tell me what you got. And so now we're working together. But when somebody's not as mature as you are, you need to be the one that it doesn't have to be the way you want it to be. Are you hearing me? Especially with your children and also with your spouse. But anytime we get to the point to where it's not all about me, guys, you're really starting to grow. Relationships are really starting to take off. And this is who he's called us to be. Number two is to encourage one another. Number one, our responsibility. Our responsibility is what? Therefore, verse seven, don't bless past judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide not to put a stumbling block in the way of those of a brother. Now it takes it to the other side, all right? It takes it to the other side of those who are a little more mature to remember, okay? Is that don't put a stumbling block in their way that's gonna cause them problems. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. In other words, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things, right? All right? But it is unclean for anyone who has this in their mind, they haven't, they haven't really got there yet, that it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, that you're no longer walking in love. What does that mean? Well, it gives you an illustration in the book of Corinthians. You know, in the book of Corinthians, there's the town called Corinth. I've been to Corinth. Uh, it's not really a town today, it's just ruins, ancient ruins. But it was a very important city at, at this time. But it was decadent, it was an ugly place. That's why in 1 Corinthians you have all the things. But there's a story in 1 Corinthians that talks about this particular thought, and I want you to hear it. All right? Back at that time, these Corinthians were coming to know Christ. Pretty good rate. But when they came to know Christ, they came with a lot of baggage. They came with a lot of problems. It was a highly sexualized city, Corinth was. And I've been there and it's in the ruins of it and there were more gods than you can imagine, more temples to false gods than you can imagine. So they were all part of everything in that culture. So they came with a whole lot of baggage, a whole lot of problems. And so, so what would happen was Paul was there helping, he, he stayed for a long time. And what they would do is they'd, they'd have animal sacrifices to these false gods. And all they really wanted was the blood. I know it's a little gross, but hang with me. And so when they made a sacrifice, all they really wanted was the blood. So what they would do with the animal, okay, after it was sacrificed, they would put it on the market. And since a dead animal at that time had a real short shelf life. Everybody know what I'm talking about? So what they would do is they put it on the market for a really reduced price. So Paul would buy that meat. It's his own Corinthians, right? He would buy that, but it was really offending some of the people who were now believers who came out of that, that, that pagan worship, right? They were telling Paul, how in the world can you eat food that's been sacrificed to a false idol? You get it? Well, Paul could say, well, I have the right to do whatever I want to do. Yeah, but why am I going to cause someone else pain over something that I eat? Right? Now, Paul knew there was nothing wrong with that. Meanwhile, because those are false gods. Right? 
But Paul basically says in Corinthians, he says, listen, I'd rather pay double for meat than to cause someone who's weaker, that is immature in their faith, to, to mess up. So therefore, it's not all about you, right? The decisions we make. It's an interesting way of putting it. It's an interesting way to understand what he's talking about of how we get along in these disputable areas. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, then you're no longer walking in love, right? Here, and then he makes this statement, by what you eat, are you gonna destroy the one for whom Christ died? So you see what he's saying. So he's, he's going both. He's telling those who are a little more immature, stop your judgmental attitude. And those who have some maturity, hey guys, it's not all about you. Guys, we don't want a church. Some people only wanna to go to church where there are only mature believers in the church. Okay, that's ridiculous. I don't know of anything more self-centered. That's not who he's called us to be. He's called us to make a difference on other people's lives. We need to constantly be surrounded people who are young in their faith to make a difference in their lives and the things that God's taught us. It's not about us. And yet our culture, it's hard to tell people about that, right? Number two is our priority, not just our responsibility, but our priority. Okay, don't let your, don't let what you, what you regard as good, don't let your good be evil spoken of. In other words, you're being who you're supposed to be but don't go out doing that causes you have the inability to do what he's caused, called you to do. It's an amazing thing to me. And then he goes on, and I, I, have, I have asked the last two services, I'm not going to really ask you, but there used to be this little chorus, right? Uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Anyway, you and I want to that make about the things that you eat, you know, that's what makes a person right with God, wrong with God. Therefore, that's what makes a person closer to God, you know, and others. But remember me, I've already told this to you once, and we'll say it again. There's only one thing that makes a person right with God, and that's what Christ did at the cross. And there's only one thing that makes a person close to God, and that's what Christ did at the cross, right? There'd be times in your life when you Realize his presence more than others. You may feel closer to him, but you'll never be as close to him as you are right now because that's what Christ and what he was, who he was, what he came to do does, right? And that's what makes it incredible. But what he's trying to say here is, guys, this, that God's kingdom is whole, so much more about the things that you eat and the things that you drink. It's about righteousness. What is righteousness? Being right with God. We learned in Romans that we're right with God because of who Christ is and what he came to do. We have Christ's righteousness in our life. Peace, right? Right? Unity, peace among us, joy makes sense in God's spirit, right? Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Number three is our encouragement, right? So then let's pursue what makes for peace and mutual building. So this is what you and I are supposed to be doing. Peace promotes unity among us and upbuilding. How can we build those up who are still growing? That's what we're to be about. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And yet I've seen it happen. People get disgruntled over something and they start, making the, they start making something, you know, I don't know what it, how it is what it is because I want what I want and if it's not like I want it, then I'm going to create this thing and then before long, God's work is destroyed. That church I talked to you about earlier, about the carpet, right? It's not even in existence today. It just blew up, right? All right, everything indeed is clean, right? Uh, thank you. Uh, but it is wrong for anyone uh, to make someone, all right. All right. Uh, the encouragement end, right? So for sake of food, do not destroy God's work. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. In other words, I do without if it will cause anyone else problems. Okay, I've got to be, I've got to, I've got to finish it up. So what's he talking about there, right? In other words, he's talking about like the, the story I told you with the Corinth. But I've been around long enough now, right? I've been around long enough now to where I haven't seen it as much here, but be real careful of what I call the professional offended brother. 
Y'all know what I mean by the professional offended brother? They attempt to control people around them by being offended. Does that make sense? Therefore, if I'm offended, I can't believe you're still doing this. But remember, the offended person is usually the weaker. If you look at the scriptures, the weak in their faith. Interesting. Interesting. But let love be the thing that drives you. And then finally is our opinions. Right? The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. I found that interesting too. About these opinion things. Right? Buss is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Interesting. So it goes to the other side. I don't miss this. For some of this, this is going to be the entire reason you came. I found that at least half of you in here, right, is that you don't have any trouble passing judgment on other people. Your problem is beating yourself up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to admit to it. Right? Seriously, I found this among people, is that for most people, it's either goes one way or the other. In other words, it's like this. It's either, it's either everybody else's fault or it's all my fault. Sometimes people even begin to, you know, you know a bomb goes off somewhere and they, had, they think they had something to do with it. Does that make sense? Boy, because it's just, it's just conscious. He says, listen, st- not only stop judging others, but stop judging yourself. Does that make sense? So he goes to that other side, which can be huge for those who struggle in that area. Blessed is one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. But whoever has doubts is condemned. If he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Therefore, remember to learn to trust him. And then it's not about what you eat or don't eat, but it's about who Christ is and what he came to do. So I've got to be done. I've got to be done. There's so much more. We'll pick this up next week. But I want you to hear those things because do you realize that this is who he's called us to be, right? And that anytime we make it about us, but that's always going to be a struggle. I'm not saying we're going to be do it perfectly. I'm not saying I'm doing it perfectly, you know? I always like to say, you know, you haven't listened fast enough. Therefore, it's not my fault, it's your fault, right? It's a joke, but still, it's just that thing inside of us that it's this constant thing that we, that we battle against, but that's what it means to be a believer, right? Is to be who he's called us to be as opposed to what we want us to be. It's an incredible thing. All right.